This is the Fixer Upper Marriage Podcast because marriage without maintenance will break. I am your happily married host, Jason Parham. Together, we're learning how to make marriage and love better. In this episode, learning to spell love without an I. For notes and references, visit fixeruppermarriage.org slash love. Why get married? What's the point with all the problems and all the heartaches and all the frustrations that you hear about marriage? Why do we get married? I think one reason we get married is a really big reason, and that is love. I want someone to love me. I want to feel love. I want to experience being loved. I think there's this deep-seated desire in everyone to love someone. To know that out of all the people in this world, I love someone and they love me back. Because I'm in love, now my life has meaning. And love is the ultimate cure for loneliness. Even when you're not together, you are still connected by this mutual feeling of love that you share. When I was dating my wife, we had a long-distance relationship of about a couple of hundred miles. But when we fell in love, it didn't matter how far away from each other because We were still in each other's hearts. You get married because you're in love. Another reason you get married is because of happiness. Being in a romantic relationship makes you feel happy. A study in 2012 found that during the initial stages of love, the body produces elevated levels of the hormone oxytocin. Oxytocin gives you this warm and fuzzy feeling. And so being in love scientifically does make you feel happy. Who doesn't want to feel happy? Who doesn't want to be in love? Look, I am happily married, but I still get these ads on the internet about finding someone to love. Single people are searching for the happiness of love. And even married people are looking to fall in love again or looking for someone or something outside of marriage to make them feel happy. I think most people see marriage as a vehicle to get you the happiness. It's a way to get you what you want. It all starts with just being in love. If I could just find someone, if I could just fall in love, then I'll be happy. And then it becomes a family. If we could just have kids, then we would be happy. And finally, just having someone to share my life with and to grow older, that would make me happy. So I think we get married because we want happiness. And then we get married because of needs. Now, this is where it really gets interesting because everyone has needs that marriage can facilitate. And it's those needs that drive us into this like marketplace of love. At its base, marriage is like an exchange of goods. Let's say one person needs physical intimacy and maybe another needs a provider. So they enter into this partnership together And it's about love and marriage. In exchange for this, in exchange for physical intimacy, I'm providing for you. So there's this exchange that takes place with love and marriage. And the needs vary from person to person. But regardless of what the needs are, they are a part of this exchange that takes place in like a marketplace of love. So you find someone that seemingly can meet your needs are your wants, your desires, 
So they have something that you want and you have something that they want and you enter into this partnership together. When you're single, you're looking for the best person to meet your needs. So you meet and you develop this understanding that you're both capable and willing to meet those needs in this exchange called marriage. I once read this book entitled His Needs, Her Needs by Willard Harley. I would recommend it to anyone because it's very insightful and helpful. It outlines the needs of men and women and how individuals sort out those needs and how marriage can, by design, meet them. So love gives you the opportunity to partner with someone else to have those needs met. But there's a problem. The problem is that things change. What happens when the reasons that you got married don't seem valid anymore? What happens when you don't feel in love anymore? What happens when you're not happy anymore? What happens when your needs are not being met? Hey, wait a minute. We made this agreement. We made this agreement called marriage that I would give you this in exchange for you giving me this. And now I'm not getting the thing that I wanted. So what happens? Maybe you mutually agree to end the whole deal or you can file for divorce. Let's go our separate ways because we can no longer keep the exchange that we agreed to. Or maybe we can find a better exchange, a better deal somewhere else. Or maybe you just decide that you both need to just stick with the limit of a deal you got, right? Or maybe marriage is about something entirely different. Here's the real problem. The real problem is in the way that you look at marriage to begin with. Here's the way we look at marriage. When someone says, I love you, what they really mean is, I love me. It's like you're standing at the wedding altar and you're repeating your wedding vows and maybe a part of that vow is you say, I love you. Well, maybe based on the way we look at love and the way we look at marriage, we should instead hold each other's hands and look in each other's eyes and say, I love me. Because in a way, that's what we think about love. I love what you do for me. I love the way you make me feel. I love how you take care of me. Love is this big circle, and guess who's right in the middle of it? Me. But what if love is really more than that? What if love is about the other person? And think about the phrase, I love you. You is the main point of that phrase. This is a turning point in love. And when we read the Bible, we learn about a different way to love. I love these verses in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 24 and 25. I'm going to read it to you quickly. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. There's this illustration that I have. You can find it at fixeruppermarriage.org slash love. It's about the statement, I love you. So, I love you. The subject is I. The verb is love. And the object is you. So, the big deal, the whole point is that the object of the sentence, the object of the phrase, the object of what you're saying to the other person is that I love 
you. The emphasis being you. So the subject or the person doing the action is I. The verb or the action is love and the object is you. In I love you, you are doing the loving and the other person receives that love. So the focus is on the other. So the actions of love, the verb, are what the Bible emphasizes. So to the wife, God says, give yourself completely to your husband. And to the husband, he says, die to yourself for your wife. So this is something entirely different than the kind of idea of exchanging things. You don't give this for that. In love, you give everything away for the other person. How do you spell the word love without using the letter I? So first off, love is leaving. Love is leaving people. Way back in the beginning of relationships, back in Genesis 2.24, God makes this earth-shattering statement that you should leave the people you know for the love of your life. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. This is what happens in marriage. It doesn't mean that you ignore all the other people in your life, but it does mean that all those people play a different role. They all go in the back seat for your love. All the relationships that you had before you married your spouse are still there, but their meaning and importance changes. So this means that you have to give 100% of yourself to your spouse. You're giving all of you to someone else. So this whole idea goes contrary to the idea of the world about marriage. The world views marriage as this system of exchange. But God teaches a different idea about love. You are giving all of you to someone else. Love is about you giving away yourself to your spouse. Love is also about leaving time. Time is the most valuable possession that you have. And it's the most important thing you can leave for your spouse. I mean, before you were married, you had all the time to yourself. Now you're giving that time to your spouse. But here's the thing. You're giving all of it to them. However your time gets divided up, your spouse gets 100% of it. So that doesn't mean that you should never have a chance to pursue a hobby or spend time on something that you enjoy. But if you don't spend time with your spouse, you are stealing that time together from them and your relationship is going to pay for it. So think about time as a pie chart. So what percent of that chart is taken up by work, by chores, by hobby, by sleep? So you have all these things in your chart. If you could imagine a pie chart of all the things of your time, all the parts of your time divided up. So once you divide all those things up, so then whatever left goes to your spouse, right? No, you give your spouse all of that time because they are the most important part of your life. Instead, you give all those other things in your life, you're left over time. It all goes to your spouse. Say what you want, but at the end of the day, you do what you want to with your time. Time together is what made you fall in love to begin with, really. So if you want to stay in love, you have to spend time together. Depending on what season of marriage you're in, you may have to get more creative with that time. But the actual amount of time is not as important as the value that you place on it. 
So you may have to work to pay the bills, right? But you don't have to work all the time. You don't have to let your work consume your life. That time at work is a necessity. You're spending that time at work for your spouse. Or you may have to take care of the kids, but time with your spouse is more important than time with your kids. What are some times during the day that you can spend with your spouse? Maybe before you leave for work in the morning, or maybe at times in the evenings when you get home, you have dedicated time just to spend with your spouse because that time is the most important time. This may sound crazy, but sometimes with our kids and our crazy life, sometimes we get more quality time over the phone than we do actually in person at home. So get creative with spending time with your spouse, but understand that in the big pie chart of your life, that the most important time, the most important time is the time that you have to spend with your spouse. So love means leaving. Love means leaving your time. It means giving that time away to your spouse. Love means leaving things. You own things together. All the things that you own, own your own. You left those things behind when you said, I do. The things that you own are 100% about your spouse now. So here we go again with this transaction way of thinking. You have these things and I have these things. You have those things and I have these things. I know several people who have gotten divorced and I know that things become a big issue. But when you love the way you should love, the things you have are 100% about your spouse. But you may buy something for yourself or have spending money for yourself because I think that's important. But what you have is really about someone else. It makes me think about the way that God loves us and how his love works. He made a plan of redemption that was all about me. He is preparing a place in heaven, and that place is all about me. Everything that God does in my life is all about me. It's because he loves me. So here it is again. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I know what you're thinking right now. If you're a wife, you're thinking, if I give myself completely to my husband and I just take the plunge and completely submit to him, I mean, what's going to happen? And the husband thinks, if I completely die to my own life and my own desires and I completely die to those things for my wife, what's going to happen? So we all jump back into this marketplace idea of love. If I do this, what am I going to get in return? But when you spell love without an I, you find something completely different. So we said love is leaving. Love is also offering. In the Old Testament of the Bible, the law required a sacrifice every year. So you would bring the best of your livestock once a year for the forgiveness of sins. But we learn in the New Testament that those offerings were an imperfect type of something perfect. Jesus came to earth and he became that offering for us. Marriage is an imperfect example of that sacrifice. But listen closely to the words of Ephesians 5.24. The words, in everything. Wives, submit to your husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. 
Everything about love screams giving, but we just can't seem to shake this idea of getting something back. In a way, giving, offering to your spouse, it seems like a waste. One of the most unusual stories in the Bible is found in Matthew 26. Jesus and the disciples were in the house of Simon eating, and a woman walks up behind Jesus and pours this expensive ointment all over his head. What this woman poured on Jesus' head was worth 300 days' labor. The disciples were shocked, and they questioned the wastefulness of it. It blew their minds. But Jesus commended this woman. What she has done, she has done in love. Sometimes wasting things is what love is all about. Could you do something more valuable with your time than spending it with your spouse? Yes, you could do something to make money. You could do something to benefit yourself. But love is worth more than anything in this world. Real love is literally giving yourself away to your spouse. All the things that you value for yourself are nothing compared to the value you find in love. Chances are, right now, you know what your spouse wants. So why not give it to them? Because from your perspective, it seems like a waste. Because you may get nothing in return. But that's what it means to offer yourself. Think about it. Jesus literally gave himself away. And all he wanted was you. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 2. For the joy, the joy was loving you. Love is offering, and that offering involves a desire. The single motivating factor in love is wanting the other. Wanting the other so much that you give yourself away. The world system has the idea that love is tied to the return. I love you as long as you give me this. But Bible love is something entirely different. I give myself to you because I love you. I only want you. I only want you to love me back. It's what drove Jesus to die for you. I only want you. I only want for you to love me. So why would a modern woman in the age of feminism completely submit and give herself to her husband? Because she loves her husband. Because she says, I only want you. Why would a man with all the aspirations and potential in the world give his life and his desires for his wife? Because he says, I only want you. But the more you offer, the more your love grows. What if you did something crazy? What if you just gave yourself completely to your spouse? What if you said, I only want you? I think we say these things on our wedding day when we're madly in love and we're passionately in love with each other. Because the returns are just so obvious. It's like all the romantic feelings and tension collide. And you say something like, I want to spend the rest of my life with you. But it's, it's when you reach the end of yourself and you say, I want you. I want all of you. 
I want everything you are and everything you will become because I'm offering myself to you. And all I want is you. I'm doing this for you. Years ago, we had a youth choir in our church and they used to sing this song. It was written from the point of view of a Roman soldier who witnesses the crucifixion of Jesus. And the chorus goes a little like this. He said, I'm doing this for you, and I will still love you when you're through. I'm doing this for you. Though it took me by surprise when I saw love in his eyes, he said, I'm doing this for you. So you look at your spouse, you hold their hands, and you say, I'm doing this for you. Or maybe you don't say anything at all. You say it in your mind. Offering yourself for your spouse means that you do it because you love them. The words I love you mean so much more than a few characters on a page or a simple phrase or a simple sentence. It means I love you. So what's the point of offering? I want you. I don't want you for the way you look or all the attractive things about you, but I want you for the person you are because I love you. I think this is what makes the gospel story so amazing that Christ loved me so much that he gave his life for me. He loved me so much. And there are not a lot of lovely things about me. But he says, I love you. I want you to love me back. That is what marriage is. I love you. I love you so much that I'm giving myself to you. And all I want back is for you to love me. So we're spelling love without an I. We said love is leaving. Love is offering. And now we're to the V. Love is volunteering. A lot of people, when they read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 24 and 25, as I've read to you already, they have this way of looking at those verses as commandments. So here's a commandment. To the wife, you better submit completely to your husband. And to the husband, you better love your wife and die to yourself or else. Or even worse, we think or maybe even say, you better submit to me because you have to. Or you better love me because you have to. Okay, so really, you want your wife to completely submit to you because she has to? Or do you want your husband to completely love you because he has to? What kind of love is that? It's like saying, I really don't want to submit to you but I guess I will since I have to. Or, I really don't love you anymore, but I guess I will since I have to. What kind of love is that? I'm just going to be honest. I don't want my wife doing things for me because she has to. I would rather her not do those things than to do those things out of obligation or fear. Just don't do it at all if you can't do it in love. Because, Love means volunteering. But how do you make love voluntary? 
You have to recalibrate your way of thinking. The story of me. Remember the world's way of thinking is that love is an exchange with return. I am offering you this and you have that to offer me. So let's make this transaction called marriage. And Christians sometimes superimpose the world's way of thinking onto the Bible. So with the world's way of thinking applied to Ephesians 5, 24 and 25, it must mean that my wife has to submit to me. I have needs and she needs to submit to those needs in my life because marriage is a transaction and she better do her part because the Bible says so. But that's not the way God wants us to interpret the Bible. God says to me in Ephesians 5, 24 and 25, Jason, love your wife, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, period. And so I'm on this journey to be a better husband, a husband who loves his wife so much that he lays down his life for her. So the story of me becomes the story of another. So now I'm giving because I love. Now I am dying for another. And when I do this, I am making our love story about my spouse. And this is hard because it makes me vulnerable. It means that the me part of our love has to die. And it's never easy to die, especially when it's me. So when this happens, when I get to this point in my life, what I do, I do purely out of love. I volunteer to give my life away for my spouse. A wife voluntarily, completely, a wife volunteers herself to completely submit to her husband. She does it freely because she wants to. Loving and submitting means something totally different when it's done like this. I want to do this for you because I love you. So the story of me becomes the story of another and shadows a bigger story. Again, it's just so amazing how the story of the gospel works. That God sent his son to die in my place even when I had no thoughts of loving him. Jesus gives his life for a sinful person just because he wants them. He says, I love you and I want you as you are. And so he displays love in its purest form. Jesus submitted willingly to die for me because he loves me. Lose yourself in the mission. When you love each other the way the Bible teaches, you do get a return, but it's a different kind of return. It's knowing that you have done something for another. The return is the joy in seeing your spouse is taken care of. It's the joy of giving yourself for someone else. The only reason I'm doing this is because I love you. My mission as a spouse is about you. Because of that, I do what I do freely. So you see how it means more if it's done willingly. Believe in the reward. There is more to it than just this life. There is coming a day when you'll see Jesus face to face. You'll look him in the eyes 
and you'll receive a reward for what you have done for him. And marriage is the perfect opportunity to do for him. Marriage is the opportunity to win those eternal rewards. When you love your spouse, you are loving and obeying God. And you will have an eternal reward. Learning to love your spouse teaches you to love God. So in spelling love without an I, we've learned that love is leaving. We've learned that love is offering. And we've learned that love is volunteering. So now we're to the E. Love is expecting. When I was little, I used to think about what falling in love and getting married would be like. I even had this picture in my mind of a little house with a white picket fence. I remember thinking that I would probably live in a house like that, and I would probably marry someone who looks like that. And then you wonder about what having a family would be like. Expectations are one of the main reasons you get married. But where do those expectations come from? Well, those expectations come from your family circle. I think that what you see in your parents drives more of your expectations than anything else. Like even the negative things form expectations for your own love. Like I'm never going to do things that way, right? I think everyone says that and you probably end up doing things that way anyway. Or maybe you know married couples in your family or friend circle and you form expectations for love and marriage based on what you see or don't see in them. I grew up with two sisters and one brother. And growing up, we would throw our clothes on the floor and every day my mom would clean up and pick up all the clothes. Then she would wash and fold them. So the next day they would be washed and folded on our dresser. We didn't have to worry about laundry at all until we got a little older. Well, that's probably not the best expectation to have for marriage. I mean, you need to do your part, right? But we have these expectations that come from what we see in our own family. We even get our expectations from entertainment. A lot of what we think about love comes from books and movies. Love should look like this because this is what I've seen. If you read romantic books or watch romantic movies, chances are you have certain expectations for your spouse and your marriage based on what you've seen or read. If you watch action movies, there are probably some expectations that you developed about falling in love. I mean, there's always this love interest who is ready to fall into your arms and be whatever you want them to be, especially after like a near-death car chase or almost end the world scenario. So you save the world and you get the flaming hot love interest. And then there's personal ideas. Just ideas that you have in your mind about love and marriage or what it should be like. You develop these expectations for your marriage and your spouse based on these ideas wherever they came from. And you go into marriage with these expectations. You even stay together in hopes that these expectations are somehow going to be met. They're going to somehow pan out. Well, maybe we need to go to counseling and then my expectations for my spouse and my marriage will finally be met. Or maybe we need to get on this big getaway because if we can just get away, maybe my expectations for marriage will be met. Or maybe if we try harder... Those expectations that I have will finally be met. And then there's expectations that come from your faith. You go to church and you see how married couples interact. You learn about what marriage should look like from the Bible. So based on what you are taught and what you learn, you develop all these expectations. 
And these are the expectations that you have for yourself, your spouse, and your marriage. But what's wrong with these expectations? So this is where you can see how the wrong kind of expectations can hurt your marriage. You know, I think sometimes if you have expectations for your marriage that you should write them down or you should have a discussion with your spouse. I mean, if you have expectations for your spouse, how are they supposed to know about what those things are if you don't tell them? And sometimes when you talk about those things or put those ideas on a piece of paper, it just you just see how unrealistic and how crazy they actually are. Like, I expect you to let me sit on the couch and relax while you pay the bills, you keep the house spotless, you take care of the kids, and do everything else around the house except maybe cut the grass. So what's wrong with these expectations? They're unrealistic. I mean, if you got your expectations from your family circle, there may be some unrealistic things there that are not right to expect from your spouse or your marriage. If you get your expectations from marriage, from reading romantic books or watching action movies, I mean, you've got some very unrealistic expectations about what love and what marriage should look like. I mean, if you read romantic books and you you watch romantic movies, maybe you expect your spouse to always be this romantic person catering to your every emotional whim. Was unrealistic to expect that from your spouse. If you watch action movies, you're always expecting your spouse to look beautiful all the time. I mean, in an action movie, they jump out of an airplane and they land and her hair looks perfect. Her makeup is still great and she just looks awesome. And you expect your spouse to just look that way all the time, right? You expect her to fall into your arms and be everything you want her to be because You have these expectations that are unrealistic from entertainment and the personal ideas that you have, and even faith, right? You go to church and you want to look your best, right? You want everyone to think the best of you, and you probably even wear your best when you go to church. You want everybody to see the best side of you, and everybody thinks the same way. So when you look at other married couples in church, it's not a realistic thing that you say. Nobody comes to church and talks about the argument they had on the way to church, right? Nobody talks about the marriage problems they've had all week. And sometimes we're taught wrong about the Bible. I mean, we're taught a one-sided view about what the Bible teaches. Like, you're mad at your husband for not loving you like you should. You're mad at your wife for not submitting to you like she should. And the whole time you should be angry with yourself for not doing your part. But we get these expectations that are not right. What's wrong with those expectations? They are unrealistic. They are motivated by selfishness. Now, come on, really. You want your spouse to cater to your every whim. Right? Because it's about you. You want your spouse to fall into your arms and look beautiful for you all the time. Why? Because it's about you. You see, our expectations are motivated by selfishness, even if we don't realize it. And they're ultimately unfulfilling. I mean, can your spouse ever really live up to the expectations that you have? So if you have these expectations for marriage and your marriage feels unfulfilled because 
You have these expectations for marriage that your spouse can never meet. So your marriage is unfulfilling for that reason. So what are the right expectations for love and marriage? What should your expectations be? So here we go. Your only expectation for your spouse. All right, this is earth shattering. Here we go. To love and be loved. I want to love my spouse and I want her to love me back. That is the right expectation to have for love and marriage. You see how different things look when you don't spell love with an I? When love becomes about the other instead of about you? Your expectation should be to love and be loved. Only. Here's the other expectation that you should have in your marriage. is to change yourself with God's help. So I said you're on this mission, you're on this journey to be a better spouse. As a Christian, you want to be a better mate for your spouse. That should be your expectation for you to become a better spouse a little bit at a time. I'm loving and giving a little bit of myself away more each and every day. That should be your expectations for love and marriage. And your expectation should be to enjoy a life of love together. That's what it's all about. I want to love you. And the only thing I want back from you is for you to love me back. I'm doing this because I love you. And I don't want anything back from you except your love. I want you to love me back. So now I hope you've learned how to spell love without the I. Love is leaving. The O, love is offering. The V, love is volunteering. And the E, love is expecting. Thank you for listening to the Fixer Upper Marriage Podcast. For more content or to leave feedback, visit fixeruppermarriage.org slash love. Remember that God has great things planned for your marriage, so don't miss it.